Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Titus, and today I'm joined by my good friend John Presnell to conclude our conversation about Scarface. In the first part of the conversation, we talked about the logic of desire, how freedom, competitiveness, chasing after fantasies could create tyranny and lead to violence. Cocaine, in a way, is the dark side of American freedom, a crazy version of our dedication to coffee. Today we're talking about violence and suffering and how that makes for individuation. If desire makes us the same, if freedom in a sense means we are together, then suffering sets us apart. Violence is the other component of tyranny, and we will talk about it in relation to Socratic political philosophy, leading to a comparison with Plato's Republic and what it teaches about regimes and about souls. So John, last time we left off when Scarface, Tony Montana reached the epitome of his journey. He's wealthy beyond imagination and confirmed in his views of desire and power, but is also facing a lawsuit and jail time, the ruin of his commercial criminal empire, and therefore the question, what was it all for? He reaches his limits, and this gives us a chance to figure out in what ways he's like the rest of us and in what ways he's a man apart. He comes to the realization, you know, he's not going to buy off the Supreme Court with $800,000. That perhaps is some limit, but then, you know, he also has international connections, so maybe that can move beyond that. He's surely a singular, though, in many respects. Whatever communism had as an education for him didn't fit. And then, of course, America might be a better fit, and he shares something similar with everybody else as he mimics desires as he moves up. He is much more aware than others, though, that this implies that you have to have everything. Manny, for instance, he wants to have sex with that girl, that body there, doesn't necessarily immediately quite know how to do it. We do see later that he does achieve it. And then it will even lead to marriage for him when he meets up with Gina. So that makes him more like everybody else. So his desire has a curve to it that can curve downwards. Whereas Tony, he's not as interested in the bikini clad girls on the beach, you know, and that's that famous scene where he likens the city of Miami to a female body part that wants to get up and he's gonna give it to it, he will satisfy it, right? And then in so doing, he will become the one that you can look up to. So he moves from the part of the body of a particular body to the city, right? So somehow this is gonna involve tyrannical ambition to not just master some particular woman to satisfy a desire, which will be satisfied and then return to where you were before, but somehow move beyond to this greater control within the city or even internationally. I mean, he states, you know, the world is yours. Now, does he learn this from Pan Am? Interestingly enough, Pan American Airlines, all American or all of America slogan, which says the world is yours. You don't get on a Pan Am flight and you can fly wherever you want it. That's imitation, but he takes it literally. There's something inchoate but natural in him that points towards this totality that while others, you might say if they had only thought about it, they might recognize that in themselves, don't, right? Tony does, and he, in fact, acts upon it, and he's capable. I mean, he's very capable. And so, therefore, he begins to make these achievements as he rises up. There is a possibility of him kind of achieving this. The world, okay, no, right? But surely much higher than Frank Lopez, at least in the context of Miami, surely much higher than perhaps anybody else there. He is aware of the limit, how the desire weakens him, and so therefore, in a way, kind of overcoming it through even further or more totalizing satisfaction. Oh, and yeah, that's how that's high true. That's what it's... makes him unique. He is shameless about both sex and death. His shamelessness about death means that he'll stare at death, he will kill people, he will not run away from this stuff. 
other people mm -hmm. are afraid. Whenever you see a dead body, you see yourself as dead, which is inevitable. Mm -hmm. None of us like that. But <laughs> in his case, it makes him ferocious precisely because he hates and fears his own death. That's what makes him fearless, his fear. Mm -hmm. That is what makes him unique. People react with fear to fear, but now and then somebody reacts with anger, violence, destruction. Mm -hmm. In both cases, there's acknowledgement of danger, but the reaction is not the same and the soul is not the same. Fearlessness with regard to sex is different. What Tony shows is that it's stupid to be a businessman or a politician in America. It's smart to be a celebrity because a mm -hmm. businessman has to sell something to somebody to get anything in return. A politician has to mm -hmm. make promises, flatter to get any money. Transaction. Celebrity is worshipped. The celebrity is yes. paid in order to be adored. This is what he means about sex and Miami or America. You know, he wants to win Elvira. He doesn't want to rape her. He wants no. her to consent. That is to say, he thinks of both death and sex as essentially fights. Somebody tries to kill you, kill them back. But so also with love. Elvira made him fall in love and he has to fight her, make her fall in love back, to say yes, to accept, to sure. consent, to be his wife legally and freely. And then he wins. <laughs> if you can make somebody else desire you more than you desire them or as much, then you're free again or a winner. This is the logic by which he can take over America. He'll make America love him in a strange sense more than he loves America. And that means that everybody will throw money at him and everybody will put up with him. This he's wrong about. He loses both Elvira and America because he's mm -hmm. too vulgar. He thinks shamelessness can become a lesson by which everybody can live. Everybody can just wake up one day and say, well, let's face it, I have immoral desires. Let's just turn the whole country over to immorality. It would be the honest thing to do. You can call it an existential choice. But it turns out America doesn't want that. That people no. are horrified, not just attracted to Scarface, that Americans are horrified by the consequences of their desires, not just attracted. That our hypocrisy, we hide the evil in ourselves and the evil that we do or that we provoke, is part of what keeps us sane. There's that scene there. right after Frank tries to assassinate him and Tony takes out Frank. And so he goes to get Elvira and here's Sleeping Beauty, literally, in her silk sheets. It's Michelle Pfeiffer looking as beautiful as ever. And then we see from the side of the frame this hand, this bloodied hand that looks like a monster who is now going to pull the veil. We all adore and admire and long after this kind of beauty that Michelle Pfeiffer has. And, you know, there she is asleep and yet her face is perfectly made up and her hair is perfect and so on. And yet here comes this hand from the side to Palma telling us here, this is what's going on here, right? And it's got to pull down. Now, it's true. He wants to be loved. But when he's struck by her, he desires that she come to desire him. That's his victory, because then, like you said, he becomes the object of her desire, and that's what he wants. But then, of course, with that, then he'll move on. I mean, you know, their marriage is horrible, right? And, of course, Elvira is always there, just as she did with Frank. She has these cutting remarks that speak the truth, right? Of course, there's also his love for his sister. He loses Elvira, and he loses his sister. Not only does he run up against the limits of his own body and the limits of maybe not as good as he thinks he is to conquer everybody else, but... Somehow his ability to think that he can have this control over women, he fails pretty miserably at both of these. It's not until his sister is killed, I suppose, that he realizes he could not completely make these women his own. But it's striking throughout that Elvira will just crack back at him and not going to play his game at all. Yeah, she's an American uh, woman, she's free, she's yeah. equal, yeah. and she will give him a piece of his mind in a way that he's, of course, not used to. 
just like mm-hmm. his sister does, but yep. he feels that as an older brother and uh, richer, more successful man, he's free to slap his sister around. He doesn't do that with his wife because no. he's still impressed mm-hmm. in a way by her social class superiority. Mm-hmm. Educated white was blonde girl and so pretty and glamorous. It has a kind of power. But yeah, he ends up this disgustingly comic creature. Uh, <laughs> he's paranoid. He's counting his money in his bubble bath in front of a TV complaining about (laughs) taxes essentially and the news and news anchors and he's a caricature of a middle-class successful man he's also miserable as you said he's wondering is this all there is to life Mm -hmm. is this why i murdered people is this why i face danger and death and destruction for what Mm -hmm. after all these millions of dollars all of them bloody each dollar what do i get for it He has gone on to the second half of his life, which is miserable self-loathing. Up until now, other people loathed him, and that made him angry, and he destroyed them. Everybody who looks down on him dies, except Elvira and his mother, I guess, but they're both destroyed in other ways. His mother, who moralistically looks down on him, loses her daughter, not just this bad son. Mm-hmm. From now on, he loathes himself because of his adversarial sense of things that love, war, are adversarial enterprises, experiences. And for that reason, if somebody loathes you, you have to overcome them. But mm-hmm. when once he's overcome, he has nobody to loathe but himself because it turns out that in his time of rest, in his self-completeness at the top of America, he doesn't really have anything to do and he kind of hates himself. And from mm-hmm. here he becomes a cokehead himself. He becomes self-destructive and yeah. he alienates his wife for no reason. It is true that there is one thing he wanted that he can't have, which is children. There is yes. a barrenness in his miserable criminal empire and his druggy wife is barren. But That's right. at the same time, she points out, what kind of father would you have been? You want children and what, are you going to walk them to school? <laughs> you think I'm a druggie or a murderer? She has this daring to tell him that her misery is a reflection of his misery. Sure. You know, he thought he would be something like what she'd make him into. That is to say that she could glamorize him like she glamorized Frank. But she's saying that her ugliness is what he made her into instead. Mm-hmm. He won. She becomes the nothingness that he comes to recognition of that's what he was always striving after anyway once he's gotten there. You know, cocaine is nothing, right? It goes up your nose. And she's self-aware at the beginning. She tells Frank, Frank wants to go to dinner. He says, I'm starving. And she says, you ought to starve yourself. And of course, she should know because she looks pretty anorexic. And the cocaine surely ruins her appetite. And then at the end, when starts talking about that this was all worthless and that there's nothing, you know, he tells her she's barren. So what he desired after some aura of glamour or whatever is now nothing there. She's barren. She orders food at the restaurant. And then he says, you didn't eat it. She says, I changed my mind. There's... She does not lack desire. She desires nothing. And so she kind of becomes an embodiment of what was always going after. And in part, he kind of made her that way. You know, before the promise of children. Okay, well, she says, I like children as long as there's a nanny. Tony likes children. He won't kill the children in the car. But that's not going to happen for him. So there's that element. Of course, he loves his younger sister. So he looks around him in that restaurant. He says, what are you going to do? You're going to be 50. Your belly's going to be fat. You know, you're going to be soft. Your liver's going to have spots all over it. You have no energy. You know, and he insults Elvira to such an extreme at that point that she does leave him. She maybe ultimately doesn't desire nothing because she wants to get out of that. And so he's left with just the empty space there of what she was. It's fitting. 
his loathing for her finally makes her indignant. She goes from sarcasm to acting on her dignity. And mm-hmm. that, in a way, makes her more of a person. This yeah. disappearing act, you never hear about her, that makes her fully invisible, is when she becomes herself. That's an interesting mm-hmm. juxtaposition. Whereas yeah. Tony, the fact that he becomes a somebody makes him into nothing. And at the end, indeed, he ends up a mere corpse. It's a bitter pill to swallow that anonymity may be more humane than celebrity. We like celebrities. Mm-hmm. We want to be liked by celebrities. We want them to say hi to our town when they mm-hmm. drop by for a concert or what have you. It to like your tweet. They could know, or, or yeah, exactly. <laughs> or could they possibly know my I mean, name I see or something? So-and-so liked my tweet today. Somebody will tweet out. <laughs> it's celebrity worship because they're more important than we are. We should be so happy as to be the playthings of more important people than we are. It's terrible, but there it is. The Palma points out that this is what makes for tragedy, power, success, achievement, virtue. Not moral virtue in the case of Tony Montana, who has sure, moral sure. virtues. But these are real virtues and they lead to catastrophe because at the end of it, he is faced with the same problem as everybody else. What is worth living for? And he doesn't have any better answer than anybody else, but nope. he has done horrifying things that nobody else has done. Mm-hmm. So there's no going back for him. And you know, normality was never an option. He shot from the bottom to the top, but there was never another way. That's the necessity part of it that should trouble people who think that they have their silly ideologies that are going to fix problems. They're going to transform mm-hmm. society into some image of perfection. And even in this case, as you pointed out, Tony Montana is like everybody else. He thinks children are innocent, lovable, not mm-hmm. like him. He wants his sister to stay that way. If only he could be an aristocrat that dedicates her to a nunnery or to a virgin <laughs> cult so that she never has to have sex with men and face the ugliness of people like him and be debased by her own desires, which she calls, you know, that he knows how to treat a lady. But yeah. He makes her into a coke head. Sure. He makes her into everything he hates about everybody. And Go into the men's room bathroom stall to snort up coke and make out. Yeah. He loathes that, but there's nothing he can do to stop. He would have to say no to himself like his mother tries to tell him no. Just stay away. If, if yeah. he could have denied himself, then these other people wouldn't have suffered so terribly. But he can't do that because he is defined by saying yes to himself and not taking no from anybody else. Because he realized that that's what the rest of us have to do. To accept things we hate. Look away when somebody humiliates us. Put up with the boss or watch what we say because we're afraid or be eager and scared about whether we're going to get a job or whatever. And he doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to be a fearful animal. He doesn't want to be sheep. He wants to be a wolf. And he thinks that this distinction between sheep and wolf, between the man who is a murderer and the man who is afraid of death, is going to lead him to a different kind of life. But no, he's just another middle class slash celebrity guy in caricature. He's got the luxury, but on the other hand, he's just sitting in a bubble bath in front of a TV. The fascination that this movie has held in the last few decades, especially in like gangster rap and hip hop. I mean, there's the rapper Scarface, and of course, it's constantly referred to. There was an MTV show called Cribs, and uh, you know, the joke was every time you went to a rapper's house, what poster did you see? There was Tony Montana, right, with his little friend right there on the movie poster. You know, they obviously can identify with the view from the bottom and the desire to get to the top and a certain ruthlessness to do it and that skill. And it's done so memorably and so exaggeratedly in the film. But it does make you wonder, do they forget the second half? 
like you said, this is not some kind of catharsis that one can see this movie and one's tyrannical drives can somehow be either repressed or sublimated in other directions or directed to proper ends or whatever the case may be. But surely Tony himself's own self-awareness, right, which he seemed to have been lacking. The one thing he could know is that gaining the world and making it his own, now he has nothing. Manny's gone, his sister's gone. His mother will, of course, have nothing to do with him. All of his cohorts are gone. Elvira's gone. His empire is gone. His life is gone. He and never had children. It's a terrible, it's tragic a, truth. It's just, horrible. Yeah. Just like and, tragedy uh, teaches you that it's virtue, not weakness, that leads to catastrophe. It also teaches you the problem with love is that love can kill that which it loves. Like mm -hmm, he kills mm -hmm. Manny with his own hands and gets his sister killed yeah. and, and so on with everything else. It's terrible. Yeah. It is, I mean, it's horrible. Why the rest of us don't indulge these things. But it's not really helpful to assume, indeed, that tragedy is going to be a miracle. It's wonderful, but it's not a miracle. Mm -hmm. uh, it is the case that kids like Romeo and Juliet. It was a big movie that made yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah, yeah. career. Uh -huh. Romeo is a teenage murderer. Mm -hmm. Why is he mm -hmm. so admirable? Well, in a way, he is. Why lie about it? Yes. And the hope sure, that sure, everybody's sure. going to learn, don't be romantic because it's deadly. Well, people have learned to be romantic, actually. Tragedy mm -hmm. cannot teach the lesson that people hope it will teach. It is not a miracle. It is not a revelation. It's not your come to Jesus moment. You're not born mm -hmm. again because you went to see any of these things, whether high Shakespeare <laughs> or low De Palma. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. But it does have a wonderful teaching because De Palma and Oliver Stone do share in Tony Montana's shamelessness. They For sure. kind of love or and loathe America in a similar way. They treat Tony Montana as a tragic hero. In the end, there's something he will not do. His commitment to life at some level is real, and mm -hmm. that seems to come from his misery. Elvira, in another one of her oracular moments, says, maybe people <laughs> should have given you stuff when you were a kid. You'd have been nicer now. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Montana does not understand what gratitude means because nobody was ever generous to him. And that is a problem built into manliness and honor specifically. If I say I worked for what I have, like our meritocrats in Silicon Valley, That's right. say, then I don't need to I don't owe anybody anything, anybody. it's all it's done me. me. I'm a self-made man. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. how individualism could go crazy. And so with everything else, I risked everything, I did everything, etc., etc. Et but if I did it for what I'm getting, then nobody really owes me anything more. Certainly not admiration. There is a tension between behaving honorably, which involves a kind of self-sacrifice risk, mm -hmm. danger, and on the other hand, getting honors, which is the point, or one mm -hmm. of the points. Yeah. But if you did it for an ulterior purpose, then it can't have been really that moral anyway. It may look dazzling, but it's not that moral. That tension is built in, and ultimately it leads to Tony Montana thinking that only children are pure. Yeah. Maybe he himself, before he was a child, had some of this thing that he sees in kids and that he wants in kids. Because that is a love that is not as confrontational, as aggressive. We may say with Augustine that children are not less evil than the rest of us. They just don't have power to act on it. Yeah, right. right. But still, it's there and yeah. the image counts. And what it points to counts as well. Tony Montana, to an extent, had to live that life of violence because of the situation he started in and his own character. Mm. Not everybody in a bad neighborhood turns into a criminal. You have to have certain excesses in yourself, but there are certain virtues too. Crime is hard work sure. and you have to think quick. And he had that, so he did it. But he has finally realized he's mortal, that there's no future he can look forward to and that he is at the end of his powers. Now he's turning to cocaine to still feel like a man. But mm -hmm. it's not. In that sense, you're a man in the prime of your powers. 
when everything feels like right now something is important you have to decide you have to assert yourself you have to do something make something of yourself but mm-hmm. once you no longer have those powers you're just human like everybody else and that can be terrifying that's why tony montana loves that he can die in this horrifying way yeah but on the other hand you also sure. have to make your peace with mortality in a way and for a manly man to make your peace with mortality means to pretend that you chose it go out on your own terms yep if death is a necessity that comes to everybody else it has to be a choice that comes to you so he dies a moral death he will not murder children he will risk his mm-hmm. own life instead of murdering children he draws a line somewhere you know but- and that shows a confusion you know that children thing because of course children grow up right and so as children say with regard to their parents they honor them they love them they respect them they may be evil like you said they don't have the powers to act upon it but at some point they will grow up Right. And the problem for Tony is that he's living in a world of adults, but not of children. You know, the only way to do that would be to kill everybody off, I suppose, or have children. This is just that kind of paradox there. And so now he knows he's going to die. He'll go out on his own terms. He courts this death. Part of his recognition of the innocence of children, and that's a line he won't cross, but that decision seals his fate. And he fully well knows this, right? So he has scripted his own death. Once again, this kind of risk. Now, this is not any kind of noble self-sacrifice, right? It's a self-sacrifice that the world is a lot better off with no Tony Montanas in it, right, ultimately, despite how much they attract, right, and continue to fascinate. And despite, like you said, the certain virtues that indeed he has, right, and that are in part American, aspects of things that we even admire in America, if not in the guise of Tony Montana. That's the point that if we were more Tony Montana, he wouldn't have happened in the first place. You know, somebody's kid dies in one of these nightclubs of an overdose. If that guy's brother or father goes up and takes out Tony Montana, then that's over. Revenge can put an end to injustice. But of course, we're good Christians and we're good Democrats and we're all liberals and we say violence is never the answer. Except, Uh of course, when we have to fight a war, in which case violence is of course the answer. Mm -hmm. But violence is also the answer when the police has to deal with stuff. And violence is Mm -hmm. the answer so much that we actually believe in the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we had had more of that, we would have had less of this other destruction. But also, had people had the self-control of Tony Montana, they wouldn't have been such cokeheads in the first place. That's right. It's yeah. strange, but these virtues are real, and more they're virtues that we're missing. Tony Montana is not just the solution to what the hell happened to America that so many millions of people have died of drugs, so many miseries beyond tragedy. It's the wipeout of a war, sure. as it were. If there's yep, a war on drugs, we've lost it, and large numbers mm-hmm. of victims are there. But he's not just the explanation of what the drug lord who does this is. He's also a show of the virtues that would have needed to stop it, both mm-hmm. by not you know, you think of, think of the cop. by dealing with the problem. You know, think of the cop Mel Bernstein, who has all these guys in his pocket. You know, he mentions the cops who work for him. You know, these are ordinary cops, right? They may not be aware to the extent of how much all of this is kind of orchestrated by Mel Bernstein. And what does Mel Bernstein want? Apart from money, he says, Tony, I want to take the wife to London, England. You know, we've never been there. We want this vacation. Rather than fighting crime, it's to his advantage to cooperate with it. And what is it going to be a vacation to good old Mary England, to old London town? You know, that's the position of the cops. Politicians we don't see too much of. We see the picture of Carter, Lopez, part of that generation that came over after Castro. You know, he's got all the pictures of former presidents, Bobby Kennedy and so on. We have the reference to the Supreme Court. You know, there are federal agents. They are the ones who bust Tony. 
but there doesn't seem to really be too much capacity to stop this. Tony has that self-control. Everybody else lacks it. That's why Miami has one big, you know what, that he's just going to screw. And uh, he'll satisfy whatever the need is or the demand or the desire until he ends up once again with nothing. He does supply the necessary perspective for a populist criticism of elite institutions. The federal government really is powerless to protect Americans from drugs because it's incompetent and the agencies that are supposed to deal with drugs up to the DEA are stupid or corrupt or too limited Mm -hmm. and indeed the presidents are theirs respectability authority figures in America some tougher anti-communists some more bleeding heart liberals like Jimmy Carter but either way Mm -hmm. they're somehow important people and yet what's happening to the actual country how good can you be as a president when so many millions of people dying this way you have to say mm-hmm. that some level people are expendable and we're not going to take responsibility at any level from small communities to the large federal government. And that's mm-hmm. not a reason to be proud. That's not the respectable view of America. And of course, there's a massive criticism of consumerism and of our social desperation mm-hmm. that leads to drugs, but also of capitalism. Sure. Not just because it's international drugs, but because it's international finance. It's the banks that treat blood money as money to be laundered Anybody who thinks about this will have to surmise fairly quickly that all the major banks in all the major democracies have been involved in are touched by this incredible criminal money and they're rewarded for it. And so as populist criticism, it's quite strong. But it also That's offers... that view from the bottom again, right? So you yep. got, right. It's the very vulgarity of Tony Montana that makes it obvious <laughs> to him that other people are corrupt too, that other people are criminals too, that there's a lot of theft hidden under respectability, and that there's a lot of cowardice hidden as respectability. No one will stop him. Mm -hmm. It's not quite that simple, but to a large extent this has happened, or else we wouldn't have had these massive problems and their terrifying consequences for millions of people. Then there is this other part of the story of Tony Montana in relation to Plato's Republic, and specifically Mm -hmm. the analysis of regime. Now some part of this is shocking, because it assumes that Fidel Castro is a philosopher king and Cuba is not just communism but paradise. It is the perfectly just regime. Now, this is of course ironic. The philosopher king is a tyrant and Fidel Castro Mm -hmm. was a tyrant and communism is an idealism and the philosopher king is an idealism and his beautiful city. They're not seriously meant. This could not be done. No amount of human power of any kind could get this done, according to Plato and Socrates. But it does point to two important things. First of all, that communism ideally asserts what we all believe in as human equality. Mm -hmm. That would be required to put down people like Tony Montana who want to lord it over everybody else. And Mm -hmm. the other thing about communism is it requires a heroic self-denial, a kind of dedication to the public less Mm -hmm. obsession with one's own things, less individualism, and more concern Mm -hmm. for justice. Of course, Cuba is a hellhole, not an ideal regime, but the idealism of communism is important because we all share it. In speech, at least, those who can't adapt, those who are going to get thrown out, right? They're not on board to the high ideal of equality and of justice that Fidel, at least, speeches Exactly. Uh, And of course, in Plato's Republic, perfect justice is only in speech. (laughs) So it makes sense. And uh, Socrates says, when he is pressed, how could you get this done and achieve perfect justice? When he is pressed to give an answer to what he said is impossible in the first place, he says, well, you have to throw out all the people who (laughs) believe in the old ways and just Mm -hmm. educate a new generation. 
hence the expulsion through Mariel Harbor over yeah. America. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly. the first degeneration from the ideals of wise equality dedicated to justice to another kind of regime that we see as Tony Montana and his brothers in arms. This is a regime defined by honor and violence. Mm -hmm. The people who are fearlessly risking everything should have everything. The people who think they're so far superior to others that they will prove it by violence and killing and all that should get all the good things. It's a military regime. And Mm -hmm. we see that elaborated at some length. And also the admirable parts of it, the loyalty, the willingness to face danger, the lack of selfishness in certain ways, That is to say, dedication to something else than pleasures, than personal passions and so forth, and sharing life and death in common with others. It's done in the element of crime, but there it is. Sure, Tony and Chi-Chi and Angel and Manny and that whole scene with that chainsaw and those Colombians. And these guys are there together. They're like a military troop. Yes, indeed. And then that degenerates, as Plato and Socrates tell us, into oligarchy which is the regime of Frank Lopez and its replacement by Tony. This is a regime dedicated to money, where people are greedy, hungry, as Frank says, or money-grubbing and paranoid, as Tony shows. When you have everything in the world, you can't be greedy anymore in the sense of acquiring. You're greedy in the sense of fearing losing what you have and counting every last dollar, as Tony does. With Frank, we see an older version, a more aristocratic oligarchy in tune with the old Some holdovers. Yeah. Glamour, sophistication, betting at the tracks, playing yeah. golf, things like that. These are aristocratic privileges and pastimes. Dom Perignon, Dom Perignon champagne. And exactly. <laughs> the good things in life. Not cocaine. Say. Yeah, not cocaine, champagne. Yeah. But in, it, you know, uh, in this regime, too, we see, well, that's then now the cops. So the cops are, are wanting money. And, of course, the bankers who are involved in the money laundering. And so the money and wealth is behind all of these. Frank has some of those holdover elements of the older, but he's it's money. And, of course, he even tells that to Tony. Of course, Tony is going to just in the middle of an illegal money exchange, right? And I think it's like $1,000 off, right? He says, let's recount it <laughs> to the penny. <laughs> yep. And that's how oligarchy turns into democracy. Tony started with nothing, and so he's greedy for money in a way richer people wouldn't be. He's not willing to throw money away because he knows poverty. Mm-hmm. He knows necessity. He knows suffering. Frank is doing all these luxurious things precisely to fend that off, to make sure that he shows that he has excess surplus, more than he needs, so that he doesn't have to deal with necessity. Mm -hmm. But that just means he outsources necessity to Tony, and then Tony supplants him. Mm -hmm. From the oligarchic point of view, violence is just something you buy and sell like mercenaries. Mm -hmm. But it's not that simple, because violent people could start being violent for themselves, not for hire. And this Mm -hmm. is an arrival of democracy in a way, but in this dangerous, dangerous way that any desire can be satisfied if you can pay for it, and that makes you free. Mm -hmm. But it also enslaves you to those desires. There's nothing holding you back, not even oligarchy. All authorities resented up to the point where Tony's sister, Gina, rejects his paternal authority, rejects his mother's authority, her mother's, that is, and pursues her passions, her pleasures, and indeed a love affair with Manny, who is forbidden. That's right. Mm -hmm. And told her that since he is bound as a brother to Tony, he can't marry his sister. There is a first suggestion of incest there. Yes. That martial brotherhood and erotic love are actually mutually exclusive. Right. But that taboo is broken because Gina is as much a Democrat as Tony, 
she is free, equal, can choose her desires, well, at least chase those desires, they're unchosen, actually. Yeah. And so she breaks barriers, she breaks taboos, and in retaliation, Tony simply murders Manny. And then Gina gets herself killed, and then we see the full descent into tyranny. Gina suggests mm-hmm. that actually the problem with Tony is that he wants her sexually. If she shows up naked and dares him to rape her, that would be the full onslaught of tyranny, incest where mm-hmm. there are no longer any legal limits, there are no longer any unthinkable crimes. That's when she gets murdered, and then Tony gets murdered as well. There you see this final form of the desperate fight against necessity, against mortality. When mm-hmm. once he figures out that there's no way around dying, with all the drugs, with all the money, with all that stuff, he fights to the end, and the last thing he says is, I'll take all your bullets. He, yeah. he can no longer prevent death, but pretends that he's so big that he can deal with it, as though bullets were not going to kill him. For once, he's the one penetrated, not the one doing the penetrating. That's right. And even again, you see that, like it or not, in being human, we have to treat necessity as a choice. That, that is really the basis of morality. Sometimes we're wiser and sometimes we're less wise about it, but it is inescapable. And in a strange way, in his decadence and his horrifying end, Tony Montana shows somewhat drives us. He's not just a good fit for capitalism or democracy or freedom or getting what you want. Thinking of yourself as an equal in the sense that nobody's better than you to tell you what to do, to tell you how to live. But it's because he's dealing with the issue of mortality. And when you don't play by other rules, by moral rules, then you have to deal with it personally. And we see his different responses at different times, and they lead sure. to full psychological degeneration that mimics the cycle of regimes near the end of Plato's Republic. He kills Manny. He has no friends. Even those who might appear to be friends, you know, that's the problem of the tyrant, right? So now he's thrown wholly back upon himself, and all he has to confront is just his death. You know, there's nothing beyond the grave at this point. And so this attempt to escape from the body into kind of a pure, ideal freedom becomes totally enslaved to the necessity of the body and of mortality. There will be a total end or completeness, and that will be your singular death, all by yourself or lonesome, with nothing. Yep. There's an old joke, if you don't go to people's funerals, they won't come to yours. (laughs) There's a duty of reciprocity there, but of course there's also an impossibility built into it. You only die once, you only live once, there's no redoing this, and there's therefore not that much mutuality. All relationships end with death. That's why we cry our own dead. We're not so impressed with the deaths of others, however, because we're bound by relationships, and those are limited. Mm -hmm. But having people cry over us itself asserts a moral revolt against necessity. Mm -hmm. We all know we're all mortal, but we resent it. If you have Mm -hmm. nobody to cry over you, however, maybe it is, as you suggested earlier, that Tony Montana was looking to be dead from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That without realizing it, he worshipped death, because only in death can he be reduced to his claims about himself. There's no other invulnerability, Mm -hmm. there's no other complete freedom from the limits of necessity that our bodies reveal Mm -hmm. every which way, not just when you're 50 and fat, not just when you're full of bullets or you die. Tony Montana resembles Achilles, who says, what am I going to do? Go home and live on a long life in mm. ignominy? That life is not worth living. I'll mm. live fast, die young. And Tony does. 
tyranny is always there in potential, at least. And Tony, no matter what his circumstances, right? Because that kind of constantly emotion, we see him singularly move through these cycle of regimes himself, right? So it's his own soul. It's not so much the regime as the character type, right? And here in the United States, with its freedom, these variety of human souls of types, excellence and corruption, uh, they're all there available in potential. Whereas, you know, Castro, he has the tyrannical fortitude to get rid of that which will destroy his regime in speech. America's accepting and absorbing, and maybe it modifies it and transforms it here. Uh, but with a character like Tony, which is not the canard that, you know, oh, this is some anti-immigrant movie. It's an anti-Tony Montana movie in the sense that Tony Montana, though, what, what are you going to do about Tony Montana, right? You know, not much. You better know it when you see it, I suppose. Yep. You need to maybe call it what it is. Yeah, it would take a conservative harshness in face of law-breaking to deal with this problem, but to spot that it will come, it would take a liberal sophistication that is less moralistic and more willing to admit that we're all tempted by our freedoms. It's not mm -hmm. that the moral are perfect and the rest are bad. The liberal who's willing to say that people in the lower classes are kind of similar to us and they just have different circumstances would be better at spotting danger. But they're powerless to do something about it because they treat immigrants or poor people as idealized victims. Mm -hmm. As it were already mourning them to show solidarity. It would take the violence of politics and police to stop incredible violence. And so we're somehow divided against ourselves. Sure. Can American freedom tolerate that, you know, or is democracy capable of setting those kinds of limits to itself? Or is there an inevitable slide into tyranny, or at least possible? And that would be, I guess, the right wing side, you know, and so you could say, well, then this movie could have never been made because you never would have let Cubans into the country, right? Stop immigration now or something, right? You know, Sidney Lumet was the first director who was assigned to this project, and he opted out when he saw Oliver Stone's screenplay. While there's all types of criticisms of capitalism, criticism of corrupt cops and politicians and of the elites and so on, you know, the story of Tony is not told of somehow he's a victim of circumstance. And that perhaps with better social work and social welfare and psychological training and education and so forth, that perhaps we could channel this direction the other way, right? Yep. You, know, you don't stop tyranny by taking the tyrant in from the cold. Best then that Stone... And the producer Pacino said it to De Palma, who in this was crazy, uh, over the top, right? People call it operatic, but it's beyond, right? Vulgar displays of just violence. The F word is used over 200 times, right? It's vulgar. It's sexist. It's violent. It's all about the drug trade. It's criminals. It's bad taste. People criticize Giorgio Moroder's music. You could go on and on and on, right? Yet uh, that's that kind of fascination for because the Palma did some interesting reversal by so exaggerating to kind of show us something and it continues to fascinate. And yeah. Sidney Lumet is a mid-century liberal with the nobility of those mm -hmm. liberals, but also a terrible condescension to democracy and also to the lower classes or to the underprivileged or to the oppressed, whereas mm -hmm. lefties like Oliver Stone are much more willing to show that the lower classes are not saints just because the rich exploit mm -hmm. them. They can be devils mm -hmm. as well. And that makes for a much more complicated picture. And with somebody like De Palma, all of this can be translated to the point of saying, what would America look like with Tony Montana <laughs> in the center of the story if he's not mm -hmm. there to be protected and condescended to by a rich liberal lawyer? Mm -hmm. What then? 
And of course, the 60s were still a time in a way for liberals to be proud and hopeful that their great welfare redistribution state was going to make America one big happy family, a great society. Mm -hmm. By 1983, when this movie was made, there were no more delusions of that kind. Mm -hmm. Liberalism Mm -hmm. had completely failed for all its nobility and in a way because of it. Sure. That is part of the justification for Oliver Stone's script and even for De Palma's direction, which show you that you have to confront the evil. You can't wish it away moralistically. And, you know, still taken from the head. I mean, these things really were there. The 80s, I guess, it's late 70s, 80s, you begin to talk of the underclass. Well, what about the great society? Now we have underclass. Cocaine really was everywhere, right? Miami was. I mean, I, I can remember as a teenager watching the news reports of Miami, murder capital of the world. It was horrible. And yes, you did have these drug kingpins, including in South America. And yes, there was some CIA involvement one way or another in this trafficking. And maybe that had something to do with Cold War necessities or something like that, but also had this horrible impact upon individual lives and families and deaths in the United States. And yet it's done in a way so exaggerated, self-contained. That's the Giorgio Moroder music, which comes under criticism. I think it's important that it stayed in there despite attempts and reissues to change it. Because it shows that this cocaine, drug-addled, new-agey synthesizer disco music fits for the time, but it fits in within this story. And it's not great music. It's not a soundtrack anybody's going to run out and buy. Uh, it's disposable music. I suppose like a line of cocaine is blown away. But that's part of the achievement of this movie. The movie turns out not to be like a line of cocaine. Right? Yep. It is the kind of shock that lasts, and it has a claim to greatness, really. There's a lot of ugliness, and as you said, the music is ugly, banal at best, but it achieves something like poetic immortality because it presents these transformations of soul, and it presents this picture of American freedom with its promise and the perils, and why it is that we might be tempted to embrace a tyranny of our desires instead of a democracy where we constantly have to be told no, and to tell ourselves no, and to live with Mm -hmm. disappointment that always reminds us that sooner rather than later we will die. Mm -hmm. But it's unwise to have the tyrannic champion of democracy, Tony Montana, lead us on a wave of cocaine to paradise. That will (laughs) certainly not work. And indeed, everything, even the banal and the ugly, contributes not only to the realism of the picture, but to the plausibility. This is what the times were like. This is really what happened. This is, in a sense, the ugly side of us. But it also Mm -hmm. makes for a teaching. It shows certain things about human nature, and it allows for another kind of shamelessness than violence. It's the kind of shamelessness of the Palma and Oliver Stone telling you that Tony Montana was a freedom fighter and of the worst kind, but also in a way typical. Mm -hmm. He wanted freedom to overcome necessity fully. He wanted to repel Mm -hmm. mortality, all limits, all problems, have everything he wants, have his cake and eat it too, and the rest of us kind of want it too. Mm-hmm. And that's a danger that's going to stay with us. Yep. There is much political wisdom and psychological wisdom on offer in the story, and I think that's its best claim to survival. Miami might be forgotten, and yet this sure. should be remembered. This problem which cannot go away, especially in a context of democracy, it requires you to think, obviously, you know, like we said, this movie is not providing any lesson of how to channel these desires, but it holds up a mirror of a part of us, who we are, inchoate perhaps, and can lead to some reflection upon then, is it possible for some degree of self-limitation and self-restraint within democracy for there to be some kind of liberty? 
Now, of course, does that lead then to the old folks home in Florida just needing to die, right? If that's the case, then there's always going to be that pushback against this, right? Each generation will begin to realize, looking at the man walking down the street by himself, by the way, you know, holding a walker, you know, is that all there is, you know? And so not for me, man. And so it'll, it'll just kind of reemerge. Yes, and everybody's is, desires will feed off each other. That is true, and it's an important insight. How are the young going to obey the old if they don't respect them because the old don't seem to be happy to be old or okay with it, and in some way want to mm-hmm. escape their old age themselves, to be young if possible or immortal if possible? That's a problem with our freedom, and if the young see that the old are afraid of death and can't deal with it, how are they going to deal with it themselves? Mm-hmm. There are many of these things we've we've talked at length through the movie and its problems and everything it points out, that is, how it articulates America's freedom and the crisis it's come to. But there would be more to say, as all these things show, it's just that, of course, we can't make a podcast as long as Scarface. (laughs) So I hope We've gone on long enough, I suppose, yes. (laughs) Yes, but I hope that our audience will, will watch the movie again with these insights in mind and discover some more of these things that are left there for people to see that it's a crowning achievement that De Palma shows off greatness here. Effortlessly, he makes something that not only shocks people, but when once you begin to understand, it becomes far more shocking. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining me, John. As I said at the beginning, it's our 13th conversation, our fifth De Palma <laughs> movie. It's a pleasure to be talking to you again, and let's do some more De Palma soon. Okay, sounds great. It was great to be here. Thank you, Titus. All the best. Bye.